Well, I guess I should just address the elephant in the room. That is that Redeemer Community Church does indeed have the worst maternity leave policy possible. I am here, and my wife has just given birth. No, it is a privilege of mine to be here. Charlotte, our daughter, uh, did not give adequate notice as to the Sunday with which she planned to come into the earth. And so Adrian was overdue, my wife overdue last Sunday, and so uh, then came Monday. And uh, as we prepare uh, pastorally and, and sermon preparation and uh, what it takes to shepherd and be a part of this community here, uh, Monday began for me as uh, every other Monday without Charlotte. So I began preparing for my time with you this morning, and then no Charlotte Monday night. So I continued Tuesday preparing to be here with you uh, if there was to be no Charlotte yet again. Uh, And then Wednesday came, and then so Thursday. By Thursday, everything was ready to go for this morning. Uh, My time with you and all of the preparatory work to do so adequately. And then Thursday evening, we uh, had Monday, Thursday, that is Holy Thursday covenant meal with you of the Lord's Supper with no Charlotte. And so we continued, and it looked surely like I would be here on Sunday, so everything continued as usual. It was a Thursday night. Uh, Adrian woke up around 1 o'clock in the morning, and it was time, I think, Charlotte was telling us she was coming. So then uh, from 1 o'clock on, we got up, we got our cup of coffee going, and uh, waited it out, and then we made it to the hospital early morning time, and then Charlotte was born later that day, that is Friday on indeed a good Friday for us uh, in multiple ways as we rejoice in the Lord's kindness to our family around three o'clock in the afternoon particularly was Charlotte born. And so then I just felt that at that point uh, I needed to wait upon Adrienne to find out um, how she was recovering and doing and Charlotte also, and then finding out uh, what would become of my time with you on Sunday if I would be calling Dan Saturday night and saying, hey, could you look up a Bible verse or two and maybe read them and share them with someone? Um, so it was that things were put together and in time, and Adrienne is doing well. Uh, she uh, is doing fantastic. And uh, Charlotte is doing wonderful as well. Uh, the pediatrician uh, has passed her, and so she is officially signed out to uh, come home where hopefully she will survive among us, and, uh, and so she has been released. Adrienne is just awaiting that acknowledgement from her doctor also uh, momentarily, but her mom and dad are here. So the way that the things work, we felt that it was uh, right for me then to continue with you this morning and to be with you, which is, again, I'm no superhero. I am simply just very grateful uh, for my time nonetheless to be with you this morning as a privilege of mine to continue uh, to speak this morning about the Lord's resurrection to each of us in a, in a moment of remembrance and then uh, excited to also go this Easter day and celebrate with my new daughter at our home. So uh, a wonderful day for me. I trust it is for you also as we come together with the people of God to consider uh, the resurrection Can I share with you as a pastor also, just briefly, thinking about on Monday morning uh, coming in and thinking, okay, um, this is a time 
again, providentially within our calendar here in the United States, where uh, we call this a particular Sunday event of Easter season for us. And the American church then recognizes that day, and we begin to come together to give our mind particular attention to the Lord's day of resurrection. And uh, as a Christian pastor, and as you know, as Christians, reading your Bible and you look at the work of the resurrection, by Monday at 8 a.m., I'm already like, what would I even mention? There's too much to mention. You, you realize, as a Christian, the resurrection is everything. So we look at the uh, Holy Scripture, 66 canonical books, and all of it depends upon the resurrection. There, we can say, oh, we can maybe read this or, or maybe focus on this. And the resurrection is that diamond of multifaceted burning light where, where you go and you look under the light and you turn the stone and every which way you turn it, it's got such fine shapes and sizes, it burns different colors every which way you spin it. And each one of the colors is so significant and so absolutely beautiful that it just it takes forever to narrow down one particular shape or shaving on the stone that gives light. And you say, that's the light that will meditate upon this Lord's Day on resurrection. It is overwhelming because the thought that Jesus has been raised is what upholds the entire story of redemption. It has been said in church history that if Christ has been raised, then nothing else matters. And if Christ has not been raised, nothing else matters. It is so significant. Then when we come together as the people of God to celebrate this most significant work of our Savior, raising from the dead, there are ways in which The Easter season, the church has emphasized it, and appropriately so. They have spoken largely, and I have too, and to you. And uh, it was appropriate, adequate, that we'd speak of the victory of the Son of God and the resurrection. The victory over death and hell. His great triumph, of which we've sang already this morning, the great triumph of Christ over death and hell. The church has largely celebrated this as we look at the text of Holy Scripture, and as we think how we have thought of it and continue to think of it this morning, is Jesus is Lord. This is, this is the declaration of the church and the power of the resurrection. Jesus is Lord. That is how you can think of it. That is the declaration of the resurrection. He is Lord. Proven by way of resurrection. That's what Paul begins his great work in the book of Romans with in the very first chapter. He opens up in the very first five verses the significance of unfolding Jesus for the rest of the book and the work of redemption starts with him being raised. He is the Lord because he has risen from the grave. What that then further unpacks for you as the New Testament would speak of Jesus as the Lord is that every threat up to that point throughout redemptive history, every single threat to the promises of God being fulfilled has been concretely conquered. 
every one of them. Everything that stood in the way, as you're reading your Bible, and, and you see the tenuous nature at times of the promises that God made in the great covenant of grace to Adam and Eve in the garden. And then you watch from that point as it's unfolding across the pages of history. And you're like, this is not good. This looks like it's in jeopardy. It's not going to happen. Here are some traumatic events that stand in the way. Jesus is Lord is the declaration. Every one of those threats has been conquered. Every single one of them. We've been looking at that for years now in the book of Revelation. Every threat that stood against the promises of God being fulfilled for you the people of God, has been conquered. And not only the absence of the threats, sin and evil, not just the removal of the threats, but the positive bringing in of the blessings. So he conquered the enemy and is bringing in the blessings. This is Jesus' the Lord. Only the Lord of history can conquer his foes concretely, putting them under his thumb, or as Scripture would say, under his feet. And as they are under his feet, he so too is bringing in the age that is to come in all of its fullness. This is what the church speaks of when they say Jesus is Lord. It was so heightened in the first century, this comment of lordship, kingship, he who reigns on high, that Paul said, it is so heightened that no man can even say it but by the power of the Spirit that Jesus is the Lord. It is the work of the saints in identifying the Lord of history, he who has been raised. Typically, this is what we celebrate, that Christ is king and we are a part of his kingdom. And we're thrilled of that truth, are we not? We looked at the chart a couple of weeks ago where he was raised and he rules over the people on earth, church militant, and the church of heaven, that is church triumphant. And there is but one king and one kingdom, and it is Christ Jesus who reigns over all. Jesus is the Lord. And this we affirm this morning, and we're excited to affirm one with another, of which we've already sang and encouraged one another, every threat to the promises of God being brought to you have been conquered. And it is also that the church has rightly understood and appropriately emphasized at this time that his resurrection, that is the resurrection of Christ, is not completely distinct from your resurrection. So that we are not to think of the resurrection events as Jesus has been raised And we're excited about his resurrection. Indeed we are, are we not? I just spoke of it. Yet we recognize it's not in a vacuum. It's not just good thing he's been raised. It's because we too will be raised because he has been raised. It is not completely distinct from our resurrection. We will too be raised. Because he has been raised. It is interesting in John. uh, I was speaking with a a brother earlier this week. Speaking on John's gospel account of the resurrection. 
as you walk through John 20 there, you'll see this, the, the, the pains that he took in writing out his gospel about the body of Jesus being raised. The body. Again, we spoke of this from the book of Resurrection. So what will it be like when, when we're raised? We know that it'll be something like this body. We, we know that because the same body that Christ was crucified in was the same body that was raised. It wasn't like that one laid there and then he appeared in yet another better one. It was the same body that he died in that was also raised. It is so physical and real that he, he graphically notes it for you in Revelation 20 to give you insight into your own resurrected body. You look upon your Lord who is the first fruits of a whole harvest like you. So you look to him who is the first fruits and say, what will I be like? hidden in him. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. And all I could say to you is, we look at John's account in John 20 and we know it is very physical. Very physical. Do you remember, Mary thought he was the gardener. When the person appeared, what, what does that mean? Why is that little note in there by John that Mary thought he was the gardener? He clearly looked like a regular guy. Physically present. This is an insight. He is the first fruits of the harvest. You and me. Do you remember? He said, Mary, Mary, don't cling to me. I've yet to ascend to the Father. Why does John record that? Wait a minute. We know why. Because it proves that Jesus is physical and real in the resurrection. Enough for Mary to lay hold of him. And mistake him for the gardener. And he was physically present because she said, where have you taken my Lord? Assuming that this individual standing here has tissue, muscle, an ability to be human. And yet we also, John insightfully remarks, the disciples were gathered in a room and the door was locked. Why do we need to know that the door was locked or not? Perhaps if I was telling you a story, I would not mention, although I'm given to detail. My wife does tell me, and you know my preaching goes from one insight to a very long, detailed piece, and then back to the main point. And you're like, just get there, please. It's the burden I bear. But John does note the significant piece. The door was locked, by the way. Not because he just belabors the story, but because he's giving you insight into the resurrected body of the Lord. It is physical, but perhaps he ramps it up by being able to enter a room without unlocking the door or knocking and asking to come in. He appears. We know at minimum the resurrected body is physical. Maybe we could go ahead and call it trans-physical. It's at minimum physical. Could have been the gardener. She laid hold of him and wouldn't let go. He's there and present and physical and standing and speaking. Yet he can also go into the twos and threes right now through this wall. It, at minimum, it's this. In glory, it's more than. It's somehow transphysical. It's imperishable. It is glorious. And he has risen indeed. And we too will be made like him. So that we recognize it's not just he's been raised, but he's the first fruits of the resurrection of all of us who have faith in him. 
and our perishable body will be made imperishable and we will be clothed to be like him. This is why we prize the resurrection. God's threats have been thwarted and conquered objectively. Jesus is bringing the age to come and he is alive forevermore and he reigns as king. And he must reign, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, until he puts his enemies under his feet. And the final enemy that he will do that with is all of death everywhere will be conquered. This is a glorious truth declaration of resurrection. I think I've, I, I tried to, uh, you know, in all of my meanderings through Scripture about the resurrection, there was a particular insight I wanted to draw our time together to, and that is uh, not as much the theological treaties of the truth of the resurrection as much as could we just take a few minutes together and smile about the truth of the resurrection? So that there is a time to declare that Jesus is Lord in the great victory of his triumph. And there is a time also that we, the people of God, would be sure to draw our daily strength from that declaration. Because we can celebrate it and be excited over it and then somehow still yet remain distant from it. So that for a few moments together, we'll look at how we relate to the Lord who has been raised every day every night, the blessings, trials, and tribulations of life, how we draw daily strength from him who has been raised. And that if he hasn't been raised, we don't have access to strength. But we know that he has. So let's look at scripture to see the strength that we must draw from in light of the resurrection. Scripture speaks of our relationship to him who has been raised through what's called organic metaphors. That is, metaphors of intimacy. So Jesus is speaking and communicating in the, the Gospels about who he is, and you often, as you have read them, you've seen it, you know, he, he's using a parable here, or, or, or an analogy here, or a metaphor there. And even the disciples at some points say, would you just speak plainly? These people can't hear it. I don't think they understand all of this. Yet as we see, some of those metaphors are are the most beautiful ways to communicate. It's not the problem with Jesus' teaching. Sometimes it's just our hearing, right? To really appreciate the beauty of the metaphor. There's such significance to our relationship to him who has been raised, that it's communicated in intimate metaphors. This is how Jesus is sharing with you this morning from his word, how you're united to him in the resurrection. And he does it through, I just want to isolate three this morning, three metaphors that speak. And I want each of you, please, listen to the texts that are read. I've put them on a slide because I might look at them in my Bible, but I don't want you to lose sight and feel like you're on a word search or, 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 you know, one of these numbers where we're we're doing this with our Bible, and I say, go. So I've tried to put them up. I think I've already missed text one, but in fact, Christ has been raised. I'm already past that in my notes, and I don't want to go back. So I'm just going to go ahead and go forward, if I could, to the next one. And this is the three metaphors. I just want to spend a few minutes together. And really, please Labor with me. That's kind of a silly term because my wife was just in labor. 
give your mind for a few moments. Because, again, we've declared he has been raised. Let us look at the relationship that we have to him who has been raised. The first organic metaphor, that is a a metaphor of intimacy. I want to draw your attention to. It's nothing new. You know this passage. But I'm asking you, look at it afresh with me in light of the resurrection. John 15, the first organic metaphor is the vine and the branches. Okay? Now, as you think of it, you know which role you are, right? The branches. And instead of thinking branches, vine. Think resurrection. Branch. I already got it wrong. Vine. Branches. Right? So, so the, the vine is fueling the branches. This is your relationship to the resurrected Lord. Let me read for you. Look with me. He who has been raised says to you, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Have you experienced the pruning work of the Lord? That you abide in him. He prunes with a goal that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Listen to Jesus who has been raised. Redeemer, people of God. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, Redeemer, children of God. Neither can you. That means I have been raised. Your life is hidden in me, please. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. Do you see how this text is wholly dependent on the fact that he be raised? Whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me. Do you believe this by faith? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in me and I in you. This is the ongoing relationship to him who has been raised that you have today by faith. Abide in me and I in you. That the, that the, that the, the, the branch would bear much fruit because it is the vine that is giving it life. Abide in me. 
The second uh, of, we'll come back to this in just a moment, the second organic metaphor, that is, that is uh, uh, the metaphor of intimacy, is, the next one is the cornerstone I want to draw your attention to this morning. This, again, think of he who has been raised, and this is your relating to him, because he has been raised. First Peter 2, uh, 1 through 5 there, listen to the cornerstone metaphor. So, put away all malice. And all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put it away like newborn infants. Charlotte, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into. See, the nourishment. Long for it. Desire it that you might grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you have come to him, here he is. The church of Christ, here is Christ, as you have come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Now, He is alive. You yourselves, like living stones. Do you see? You've come to Him who is the living stone. You, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How how is all of this possible? Through Jesus Christ. Do you see? Jesus has been raised, the living stone. And you... In him are living stones. You you see, your life in the Spirit is derived from your being hidden in Jesus. He who has been raised. This is the intimacy of how he speaks of you being linked to him in the power of the resurrection. This is your daily existence. He is alive, so you are alive. He is a living stone, so you are living stones because you've come to him. The next uh, and the final, the third metaphor, I just want to take a moment with you this morning to look at is another one of the husbandry and wife, that is Christ who is the head of the church. Paul writes there in Ephesians 5.22, and, and I'll bring all of this back to looking at these three organic metaphors of our life in the resurrected Lord Jesus, wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Here's the metaphor as as he speaks of our relationship. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Do you see who you are? His body. He is the head. A a body needs a head. And the head, it's body. And, and he is himself its savior. So he saves the body, and he is the head then of the body. The body receives its life from the head. Now as every church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. Look at the actions of Christ in loving you, each who by faith have looked to him and been saved. And you say, I am a Christian and I rejoice in the truth of the resurrection. He gave himself up for you. 
This is how he loved you. He gave himself up for you. With an intended goal that continues now by the power of the Spirit. That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church. You. Do you see that all of this is dependent on the resurrection. He cannot continue to sanctify and he cannot present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That we cannot be holy and without blemish if he has not been raised. Yet we confess, he has been raised. And he loves you. And he is at work within you. As he is the head of the church. Now, in each one of these, each one of these uh, metaphors, you're all looking intently at the screen of which I appreciate, but perhaps I'm asking you, I know that each of us are very familiar with these, each one of us very familiar with each one of the three probably uh, metaphors there that we have looked at. And yet, that, maybe that's my point this morning is that each one of these metaphors we are so familiar with. Did you notice what is not present in each one of the metaphors? So you're familiar with what's there. And as we meditate just for a moment on the power of the resurrection and we think about our relating to the Lord who does the reign, we recognize there is something missing in each one of these metaphors. That which is missing is that not one of these metaphors, not one of them, and you could continue to look through Scripture, not one of these metaphors reflects a relationship of sheer domination of one person over another. see sometimes we can declare the great work of Christ and victorious over the grave over death and hell and sometimes it can become almost at some moments so victorious and so majestic it almost take a tone of distance or we forget and cannot feel or derive the power of love that was displayed in those events and continues every day in our lives Not one of those metaphors speaks of sheer domination of one person over another. What do I mean? Maybe at this point you're saying, I'm uncertain as to what you mean. Thinking about the Lord as he reigns. That is that I want to draw your attention to the fact that our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ who has been raised is one of mercy, compassion, grace, loving kindness. Did you come to celebrate that? 
that he who has been raised is a loving and compassionate Lord. He who has been raised has so loved the church that he continues to sanctify her, purifying her, giving you power compassionately over sin and temptation. Do you draw upon these metaphors that your life is being given by Him who lives compassionately, mercifully, graciously, with great patience and kindness, long-suffering? Let me read for you in 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 the resurrected Lord from Psalm 121. The Lord is your keeper. Every day, every night you will leave this place in the power of the resurrection. And you will lay your head on your bed knowing that the Lord, he who lives, is my keeper. Are you nervous about anything in your life? Are there challenging waters ahead for you? Are there challenging waters right now? I have a challenging like Next 18 years just started a couple of days ago. I need to hear that he who has been raised is my keeper. That that he will hold me. He will give me wisdom that I simply didn't earn. That I am dependent upon him to provide. As I am in these moments, so too am I in every moment. And I need to remember that as he who has been raised reigns compassionately in my life. He is my keeper. It continues to Psalm 121. It says, the Lord is, this is beautiful, he who has been raised is your shade. Do you need a shade tree? Beautiful images in poetic literature speaking of him who provides. He is your shade tree. He is your keeper. Yes, the truth continues. He has been raised. He reigns. And he who reigns is my shade tree. In the scorching heat of trial, I can hide where he has prepared a place for me. He is my keeper. He won't let me fall off the cliff completely. He is my keeper. I think of that, here goes my son down the steps, running across the sidewalk. No, wait! You got to look both ways before you cross the street. I am his keeper. I look. How much more so is he who has been raised, omniscient in all of his ways, my soul's keeper? No, 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 Adam, you're going to run right out in the street and get hit. I praise you that you love me and that you are my keeper. He is my shade tree. It continues to more just from the psalmist. He is a shelter from the storm. You've remembered that. Another word from John 10. He is your shepherd who gives you refuge. Keeper, shade tree, shelter, and shepherd. This is the way that the risen Lord relates to you this day. 
Indeed, I, I don't mean to put one against the other. That either he is Lord and reigns victorious, or he's a shade tree, or he's a soul's keeper. Because he is Lord, he is my shelter. Both in perfect compassion, perfect mercy, perfect grace, and perfect balance. He prunes because he is the vine dresser with the Father, producing more fruit in love and in compassion. So it is that in his lordship, I wish for you to be able to grasp and to meditate upon this sentence. He rules over us, right? By ruling within us. This is the organic metaphor. This is the intimacy of your union to him who has been raised by faith. He rules over by ruling within. He produces the fruit. If you could go to John 17, I I, I think I put it in the slide there. We read this uh, on Holy Thursday. I wish to revisit it for a moment because it speaks perfectly of your relationship to him who has been raised. As he who rules over you rules over you by ruling within you. It is, no metaphor speaks of sheer domination. I'm your new Caesar. Do as I say or get out. That isn't our Lord. Grace has drawn me to see Him and grace, my fears, relieved. He rules over me. By ruling within me. He loves me. Here's Jesus praying for you. Okay, so so right there in verse 20, he is praying for the disciples. Right there. His men. Right as he's moving towards, this is a portion of what's called his farewell discourse. He's leaving. And right here he prays for these men who are present. I pray for them. And guess who else he prayed for? Verse 20, you, me, everyone within the church who would by faith trust in him, he prayed for you. He died for you. He was raised for you. And he knew it. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only. That's the these only right here and now. These disciples. I don't ask, Father, for these only, but also for those Who will believe in me through their word? Who is that? Your Lord loves you. Prayed for you. Still prays for you. Mediates the covenant to you. Died for you. And was raised for you. For all who would believe in me through their word. That they may all be one. The whole church. Just as you, Father, are in me. And I in you. That they also may be In us. Do you see the organic language of union? Every day. And because this is true, he is your shade tree. He is your soul's shelter. Because he prayed this for you. That the world, looking upon this union relationship, may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. 
that they may be one, even as we are one. You can't even fathom that, neither can I. We receive it. Look at verse 23. Please look at verse 23. I in them. Do you see? He who reigns over does so by reigning within. He is a compassionate Lord. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them. I don't pray just for these guys. I'm praying for all of the church. I'm praying that they will recognize that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. That is to say, every threat to the promises of God being fulfilled has been concretely conquered. I desire they also, all of whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made it known to them. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me, here it is, believer, here is the resurrected Lord of organic unity. This is how you relate to him. Which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. He who rules over who has been raised, rules over by ruling within. He is a loving Lord. He is full of compassion. He is sanctifying you in His truth. God's Word is true. He is cleansing you as he gave himself up for you to present you without spot without wrinkle without blemish because he who rules over rules within he is the vine then who indeed rules over by ruling in and you see that that was where I wasn't supposed to use the laser pointer He is producing all the nutrition you need. All the nutrients. All the perfect pruning. Even though any bush will tell you it probably hurts when it gets trimmed. In order that fruit would be abundant. He who rules over does so 
of his own choosing and prayer to rule within. So that Paul can say to you, please, believer, please, he has been raised. If he be for us, for us. I made it known to them your name. And as the mediator of the covenant, I will continue to make it known to them. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. Then as Paul says, who can be against us? Can trial, tribulation, distress, marriage, children, finances, Oh, he is a shade tree in a time of trouble. He is my soul's shelter because he has been raised. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a few thoughts just to, to meditate on our relationship to you who has been raised, we thank you for being a loving Lord. That you are Lord. That you are King. That we are a part of your kingdom. And that you are not a king like the world. You are not a king loving us like the world would love us. But you are not of the world. And you have not loved us as the world would love us. But you love us with perfect grace, compassion, mercy, patience, long-suffering, you provide shade to each of us, not by merit, but by divine love. You are our shepherd who lives and reigns forevermore. And though we do indeed, even by your hand, go through a valley of the shadow of death where we feel we're out of gas, we're not going to make it, There's too many obstacles. Even there, your hand will lead us. As it has brought us into that place, your grace will sustain. You will provide shade tree for our soul to hide upon. Please, Spirit, continue to empower us to not run in trouble, but run unto you, knowing I'm not alone. Jesus has been raised. He is with me. And he loves me. And he will forever be with me. Providing all that's necessary. We love you, Christ Jesus. That you have been raised. We have been justified. And you love us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.